0: What if there was only one law school in B.C.? This question, raised by the justices of the B.C. Court of Appeal, underlies the importance of the case over the past week. My name is Ian Bushfield, and I'm the Executive Director of the B.C. Humanist Association. For the past three days, I sat in on hearings in the case of Trinity Western University versus the Law Society of B.C. The B.C.H.A., alongside the Canadian Secular Alliance, was one of the interveners in the case, and I live-tweeted much of the case from at B.C. Humanist. Check out the hashtag Law on Twitter for the play-by-play and keep listening as I delve into the case. These are, of course, just my impressions and opinions. I'm not a lawyer and the BCHA intervened in this case, so I'm clearly not impartial either. So let's dig into the background first. The case centered on whether the Law Society of BC has the authority to refuse to approve proposed school of law at Trinity Western University. TWU is an evangelical private school which requires all of its students to sign a community covenant. That document requires students to abstain both on and off campus from sexual relations outside a heterosexual marriage. This provision effectively bars LGBTQ students from accessing these potential law seats. The covenant also requires students to uphold the sanctity of life which discriminates against women's reproductive freedoms. The Law Society had initially approved the law school, but it reversed that decision following a referendum of its members, who are practicing lawyers across the province. TWU challenged that rejection at the B.C. Supreme Court and won on administrative grounds in December last year. Essentially, the court ruled that the Law Society messed up how it made the decision, but the ruling didn't really go into the human rights issues at play. Meanwhile, law societies in Ontario and Nova Scotia also rejected the law school, and those decisions are simultaneously being challenged in appeal courts in both of those provinces. All of these cases are expected to come together at the Supreme Court of Canada at the end of this year or early next. The Law Society appealed the BC Supreme Court's decision, and those hearings began this week. On Wednesday, June 1st, we heard from the lawyers representing the Law Society and groups intervening on its behalf, including us. On Thursday, TWU and their interveners spoke, and finally today, Friday, the Law Society gave a short reply to some of TWU's arguments. The Law Society's lawyer, Peter Gall, made a number of arguments. First, he had to deal with the administrative questions. He argued that by the letter of the law, the benchers, that is, the directors of the Law Society, did have the authority to actually allow the Society's membership to just vote on the issue. Of course, the result had to meet the Society's legal obligations and couldn't unreasonably infringe on the charter rights of any group but he'll get along to that. As the Law Society had initially approved the law school and then reversed that, Gall was left in the tough spot of having to argue that both positions were ones which reasonable legal experts could come to different positions. Essentially he had to argue that the equality rights of LGBTQ law students were pretty close in the balancing with TWU's claimed right to religious freedom. In the end he argued that it was just up to the courts to settle the charter issues at play. So he turned to the equality arguments for why the law society should be allowed to reject TWU on the basis of its community covenant. He highlighted how TWU could just achieve all its goals it has publicly said the law school has, without mandating a covenant that discriminates against classes of people. This is important because it puts into question the purpose of the covenant. TW maintains its profession of its community's traditional religious views on marriage, but it could still make those views known without policing the conduct of its student body. Gall also highlighted the harms that would come from approving TWU's law school. Very tangibly, LGBTQ students and feminists would be excluded from these additional seats. There would also be a psychological harm to those communities by having the state be seen to endorse an exclusionary law school. And finally, if the law society is seen to be discriminatory, it could erode the public's confidence in the broader justice system. Our lawyer, Tim Dixon, was the first intervener to speak. He presented our arguments on where the limits of religious freedom should be drawn. Basically, our arguments came down to two points. First, if the Law Society approved any law school with a mandatory religious code of conduct, the state would be in effect endorsing a form of religious coercion. TWU has said that it is open to students of all faiths and none. It's not just a community of evangelical Christians. There are Muslims, Jews, atheists, and non-evangelical Christians there. By having a mandatory code of conduct, the school is in effect coercing those students into living by a Christian standard. This violates those students' rights and freedoms. In essence, no one's belief can compel another person. Second, we argued that teaching secular law just isn't actually a religious activity, and therefore TWU can't claim the religious freedom protections of the Charter. There are clear religious activities like going to church or praying, but having a law school that's open to and actively invites the general public to attend is not one of them. Next, the LGBTQ Coalition's lawyer gave a comprehensive review of the history of homophobia and bigotry their community has suffered, and the sea change in attitudes and law that has happened since 2001. That was the year when the Supreme Court of Canada looked at a similar case where the BC College of Teachers refused to recognize TWU's teachers program. It was a powerful presentation and a poignant reminder of how far our society has come in just such a short time. They then reiterated the harms that approving such a school would have on the LGBTQ community, particularly as the covenant references Bible passages that refer to homosexuality as vile. West Coast Leaf then discussed the impact that approving the law school would have on women. They gave evidence that the Law Society was aware of the feminist concerns, and they said that a discriminatory law school would widen the gap in accessing the bar. The Advocate Society concurred with our arguments and looked again at the effect of approving a law school. They highlighted how TW doesn't just want to open a general law school, but it wants to have the focus on charity law and law for smaller communities. As those are niche markets, approving this law school would have an even greater impact on potential LGBTQ and feminist law students considering those paths. TWU's lawyer, Kevin Boonstra, began his arguments on the second day with the assertion that 11-12% to 12% of Canadians are evangelicals. This is something that's stated in their factum and also on the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada's website, but it's a statistic that I just can't actually track a source down for, and please send me one if you can find it. Boonstra discussed how a number of Christian universities and organizations in the US have a similar code of conduct prohibiting same-sex activity, and those schools have been recognized by their own law societies. He submitted affidavits from LGBTQ students who have attended T.W. and he argued the additional 60 law school seats opened at TWU wouldn't take away from the total number of seats available. Instead, he suggested it would actually free up some pressure on the admissions of secular law schools like UBC, UVic, or TRU. He also argued the law society is limited by the law to only look at the academic qualifications of law students. However, one judge pointed out the law governing the law society tells it to look at academic qualifications of students from approved law schools. So he suggested the society has the authority to approve or not approve law schools themselves and didn't have to necessarily treat law schools equally. Nevertheless, Boonstra continued to argue the law school should be held to its initial decision to approve the school and the referendum on the issue had to be deemed invalid. At the same time, TWU, like the Law Society, wanted the court to also decide the human rights issues. One of the judges asked why the court should have to consider balancing rights if TWU thinks the decision itself was done improperly. Boonstra replied that he wanted it to be clear to the Law Society what the correct balance was. He then discussed why he thought the 2001 BC College of Teachers case still applies, arguing that some of the arguments being raised here were dealt with then. Boonstra also argued that TWU was looking only to open a small law school, and this is when we got to one of the judges asking Boonstra whether law society would be in its rights to consider the discriminatory impact of the community covenant if TW were the only law school in the province. I don't think Boonstra had a strong argument here. He mostly fell back on saying the issue was just theoretical, and the facts are that TW really only just wants to open a small law school. Another judge posed later a hypothetical situation where UBC would bring in an anti LGBTQ code. And again, Boonstra struggled saying uh, UBC just wouldn't do that, or it's not a religious institution, and he argued that the small numbers involved negated a broader principle. But this is where I think there's actually a strong argument. If the law society can consider the legitimacy of a discriminatory code at a large university, or if there was just one university, then the smaller universities shouldn't be exempt. The scale of the school involved doesn't affect the principle at hand. While TWU's law school may just be small, its approval could easily be just the first step to more and more universities opening with such decronian policies. Then we've gone from talking about 1% or 2% of law seats to a significant impediment to a sizable portion of the LGBTQ community. Even in the few days I was at the trial, I met several gay Christians who opposed the covenant. This included one person who grew up near TWU and would have considered it for school. Yet the covenant closed that door for her so the effect is already real for some people. But let's come back to the courtroom. bunschra also argued the charter doesn't apply to TWU as a private body. In fact, it doesn't even fully apply to public universities. He also argued the Law Society has a duty to treat all graduates equally when they arrive at the door for approval. He and some of TWU's interveners also actually made the argument that allowing the Law Society to deny the TWU law school could or would lead to the Law Society scrutinizing the entire educational background of potential lawyers. For example, a student who attended a Christian elementary or high school would be barred and the law society would expel anyone who doesn't conform to the majoritarian viewpoint, as one of the lawyers put it. He also argued that Canadian law grants a lot of importance to freedom of religion. And once a belief has been determined to be sincere, then it's up to that religious community to decide its validity and its articulation. Similarly, he pointed out that the minority opinion in a case about teaching a world religions class in a Catholic school would have recognized a private organization's full religious rights, though I personally worry that such a precedent could lead to a Canadian hobby-lobby-type decision, allowing companies to claim religious freedom to run over the rights of their employees and customers. Finally, TWU and some of its interveners worried about whether a decision allowing the Law Society to reject its law school would set a precedent that could put TWU's other programs in jeopardy, or threaten other religious organizations. Specifically, TW's teachers program could be up for challenge again, as well as its psychology and nursing programs. Next, I'll run very quickly through some of the arguments posed by the various interveners for TW. In total, they had seven different interveners to the Law Society's four. The Catholics talked about what their interpretation of secularism is, and the Christian Legal Fellowship was concerned that the rights of Christian students who wanted to go to TWU would be infringed upon, and they also argued that rejecting the school would lead to the Law Society rejecting all Christian applicants. The Evangelical Fellowship of Canada equated what they see as an attempt to ban the Community Covenant as equivalent to the government attempting to ban the Bible. They also stated that removing the covenant would have the effect of preventing TWU from practicing evangelism, to which one judge pointed out that non-evangelicals are already able to attend TWU, and that has not destroyed its evangelical community. The subtext here is potentially the implication that TWU is more afraid of having openly gay law students attend its law school than non-Christians. The Seventh-day Adventists talked about the 18th and 19th century discrimination against religious minorities that happened in Canada, and they also argued that if TWU was forced to allow atheists, it would fundamentally change the nature of the school. Apparently, this lawyer was unaware of the fact that TW is already saying it has non-religious students on campus. The Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms described itself as, quote, non-partisan and non-religious and the only secular intervener on TW's side. Their lawyer spoke to the importance of freedom of association. At one point, the judge interjected on one of his comments to say that the JCCF was overstating its case. ARPA's lawyer suggested he'd be okay if West Coast Leaf opened a women's-only law school and he'd even fight to defend it. He also ended his argument by talking about how for Christians, quote, Jesus Christ is our first identity, and he quoted from the Bible. Finally, the lawyer for the Canadian Council for Christian Charities talked about his concerns of the potential problems for other religious groups that could come up if TW's law school was rejected. But for me, his argument sounded more like fear-mongering than actual legal arguments for why. So then we came back today for a short session this morning to hear rebuttals from the Law Society. Lawyer Gall clarified some of his administrative law arguments, basically saying the court should give deference to the law society to make a reasonable decision in whatever way it can, and then questions about the balancing of rights should be decided by the courts. He went on to challenge TW and its interveners' arguments that the extra law school seats wouldn't have an impact because there would still be the same number available at existing secular law schools. He said this was basically a version of the, quote, thoroughly discredited separate but equal argument. He gave the example of a group arguing for a male or Caucasian-only law school, and that the law society would have a clear interest in rejecting such a school, and it wouldn't even be a question up for debate. He went as far as to draw a comparison with Rosa Parks, who was offered a seat at the back of the bus when blacks were banned from the front. The judges pushed back on this point, arguing that the buses are a public service, and I think Gall missed a potentially stronger comparison, say with something like taxi licensing. If a private cab company refused to allow passengers of a certain race or gender, a municipality would be entirely within its rights to refuse to grant that company taxi licenses, arguably even if the company claimed religious freedom. At this point, Gulp brought up the BC Human Rights Code. He said that, quote, a reasonable argument could be made that the Human Rights Code should apply to prevent the Community Covenant from discriminating against LGBT students, but he wouldn't get into that argument in court today. Finally, he dismissed the idea that this decision would set a precedent that would threaten the freedom of other religious organizations. And with that, the hearings ended and the judges left to start their deliberations. We probably won't have a ruling for at least a couple of months and potentially longer. On Monday, the Ontario Court of Appeal will begin its hearings where many of the same interveners will be making many of the same arguments. So for now, we'll just have to wait and see how this all plays out in these three courts and then take the fight to the Supreme Court of Canada. In the meantime, you can continue to follow our other campaigns and work to build a secular community based on reason and compassion at bchumanist.ca. Please also consider making a donation to support our work. While we've secured generous pro bono support, we will be on the hook for some of the disbursement costs here, as well as my time and our administrative costs to do things like getting this report to you through our website and our podcast. Thank you.